You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. This week we have with us Pastor Darren Enns. How you doing? Hey everybody, doing good as always. Pastor Drew Tarwater, how you doing? Doing fantastic. A pleasure, gentlemen. And I'm Rob Blasi. Got a quick story for you guys here before we get going. Uh, you know, Jesus is down by the gates of heaven. An old man approaches. He goes, well, what have you done to deserve entry into heaven? Asked St. Peter. To be honest, replies the man, I'm merely a simple carpenter. It was my son who was truly great. Although he wasn't my biological son, his birth was miraculous. Still, lo- I loved him very much. Later in life, he went through many trials and transformations. He spread the joy of his story and was told all over the world, even to this day. Jesus looks down at the man and, with a tear in his eye and says, Father? The man looks back and says, Pinocchio? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> don't bunch You're nice. nice work, welcome. Rob. I'll be here all week. Um, Drew, last week you talked about um, Matthew and the keys of the kingdom. Can you give us a, a little recap of what you talked about? Yeah, we were in Matthew chapter 16, and it's it's really um, uh, one of the famous exchanges between Jesus and Peter, the apostle Peter, and his disciples, where Jesus asks his disciples, you know, who, who do you say that I am? And he starts off by asking, you know, who do, do the people say I am? The crowds that are all following and his disciples say, well, they, they think you might be John the Baptist or maybe you're like the reincarnation of Elijah or Jeremiah, the, the prophet. And Jesus looks to them and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ, which isn't his last name. Christ means Messiah or Savior. And uh, at that point, Jesus says, well, Peter, you're right, and the way that you know this is because my Father in Heaven has revealed it to you. Um, this isn't something you've, you've just noticed from flesh and blood, like the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. And Jesus says, and, and you are Peter, and this is where the famous, this is kind of a famous controversy on this verse, which is really fun to talk about on a podcast. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. But don't go tell anybody just yet, you know. So there's this like famous exchange. And it's from this verse that um, you get so much uh, background on the Catholic Church, um, on this idea of like Peter was the first pope and the, the primacy of Peter or the papacy of the Roman Catholic Church. It's on this verse that you get all the jokes, like you just told us about Peter being at the pearly gates. All the pearly gate Peter jokes come from this verse. Um, but... There's so much beauty in this verse about how God reveals truth to us and on how Jesus is building his church and what that means for us that um, you could spend, you know, weeks really dissecting it. So it's going to be fun to talk about today. No, we're looking forward to it. Um, 
So, with the papacy and all that, like, with the Son of Man, like... Yeah, it's... So, so here's what's interesting. Okay, so and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, and um, I'd encourage you guys to look into this a little bit. So the Roman Catholic Church, the, the highest figure in the Roman Catholic Church is the Pope. And, you know, there is this view of uh, papal infallibility, which means that the, the Pope is the one who can basically, he can't fail when he speaks. He speaks ex cathedra. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that later, but that's the idea that he's speaking for God. He's basically the mouthpiece of God. There's another doctrine called the primacy of Peter, which means that the view is that Peter and his descendants um, basically control the teaching of Jesus. And so they look back on this verse, you know, Matthew 16, um, and or in Matthew 16, and this is the only place that Jesus ever says this. We don't see this in, you know, Mark or, or Luke or, or John, anywhere else. We just see it in Matthew, this exchange. And Jesus basically says to Peter, hey, you know, Peter, you just made this statement that I am the Messiah. And he, he then says, Peter, you are like a little rock standing on the mountain, you know, Jesus being the mountain. And the statement that Jesus is the Messiah is what the church is built on. Um, the Catholic Church took that statement that Peter is the, the rock and said, okay, well, that means that Peter is the leader of the church. And so therefore, every one of Peter's descendants are going to be the leader of the church. And so when Peter came to Rome, he became what they quote unquote, the Bishop of Rome, like the head guy in Rome. And so he was the first Pope. And so there's been a lot of work done by the Catholic church throughout the years to draw a line from Peter to, you know, Gregory, who was probably the actual first Pope in, in the you know ninth century, 10th century, uh, BC and so forth. And so that's really where so much of the, the, the papal doctrine comes from in the Roman Catholic church traced back through this one verse, um, in the book of Matthew. So it's really interesting to dive into. And if, you know, if you have a background in the Catholic church, you, you know, a lot of this makes sense because of what you've heard about the Pope and about Peter. Um, but Darren, yesterday we did a little word study and had some fun with that. And I think what Jesus is communicating is not the primacy of Peter, but he's having a little fun with words talking about the importance of Jesus being the Messiah, being the rock that the church is built on. Yeah, and you mentioned it in your sermon. It's uh, Peter in Greek is Petros, or uh, Drew, you pronounced it Petros. It, does, it, it just depends on which one you want to do. So I was taught Petros. Um, but so the word for Peter is Petros, which means like stone, or Drew, you said little rock. And then the word for rock is Petra. Uh, and so it, it's a play on words there that, that is a bit more important, we as Protestants think, than what, what a Catholic church will believe. Um, and so to, to clarify something, Drew, I just want to add, make sure this is right. Um, you say descendant of Peter, but that doesn't mean his son. It just means it's like his successor, whoever mm -hmm. is the bishop of Rome, not necessarily Peter's son. So like our current pope is not a son of Peter. Right, right. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, Peter was crucified upside down in the, in the 60s. So yeah, um, by descendant, yeah, his successor. Yeah, and a lot of this doctrine that, that, we, that the Catholic Church has today was um, was finalized kind of in, in the second millennium. It wasn't, this kind of stuff wasn't really finalized in the medieval church. In fact, at one time during the Renaissance, there were three popes. There was one in, in Avignon, France. There was one in, in, at the Vatican in Rome, and there was one somewhere else. 
and there there's been a lot of of uh, like turmoil with with that seat because in the medieval period period it, it came to be tied to political power as much as it was spiritual power and so there there's a lot of, of conflict and turmoil just in the history of the succession of the pope um, and and this thing that we're talking about with the papal infallibility that that when when the pope wants to he can speak what we call ex cathedra or what they call ex cathedra which means that what he says it, it is is written down as as you know, words of, of God that should be taken at a high level. And, and it's kind of, you know, what, what they say when the Pope speaks like this, it's the same thing as Paul writing these things down. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a continued revelation. That's the idea there. Um, that was really only instated in 1869 to 1870 when they had a meeting together where where the, the higher-ups in the Catholic Church decided that this was a thing. So this hasn't even been, um, you know, a... a dogmatic doctrine for the whole entirety of the of the Catholic Church. Only in the past 150 years has that been a thing. So, um, And I, I, I want to make sure that we're not bagging on Catholics too much. There are a lot of people who love Jesus in the Catholic Church. Amen. Um, that, right. I mean, as, as Protestants, of course, we think that there are some errors that need to be corrected. But there, I, I do think that there are plenty of Catholics who, who will be with us in heaven. Because um, we all proclaim Jesus as Lord and Messiah. So... I just want to make, put that out there. Yeah, sure. no, it's good. And I, and I hope nobody would take away that we were um, bagging on Catholics. I think the concept is, you know, we, we, we want to enrich um, theology and doctrine. And, you know, we also, as, as um, pastors and, and elders and, and overseers of the church, you know, it's our job to protect the church. And part of protecting the church is to make sure that we're thinking um, critically and contextually about, theology and scripture. And so I think it's important when we come across a doctrine that is, as you said, it's been around for a while. Um, it's been kind of taken in one view by, you know, a really large group of, of believers. I think it's important that we can spend some time to look into these things and say, okay, it, what is Jesus saying here? And how, do, how do we understand it the right way? Was it misinterpreted or is Jesus saying something else to us? I just think it's important that we learn to, uh, as we often say on this podcast, literarily read the Word of God and understand what is Jesus really saying here? Because I think it has the the ability to keep us on path or sometimes veer us from uh, following Jesus for for all it's worth. Um, So yeah, that's a good point, Darren. Great point. And speaking of what Jesus said, in 17, there's some, in uh, 16, 17 here, Jesus starts talking about his response to Peter there, and he replied, like, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You know, this was not revealed to you by my flesh, by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I thought, you know, it goes on. And the part that I want to go into is 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. I've heard this verse used a lot, I believe, out of context. But what, do you, what would you say is the contextual point of this verse? I'll go with either one of you, whoever goes first. Who's going first, Drew? I'll, I'll go ahead and go first and, <laughs> okay. and give me some opinions on this. So what? here's how, here's how I view this, okay? And I think what, what Peter and, and the other disciples, there's a lot of context here, okay? And so, you know, I think we need to back up just a second, Rob, and say, let's set the context, okay? So they're in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a very famous place in the Old Testament. It was where the um, the basically the 
Canaanites worshipped the the god of Baal, right? Which was just a horrible, horrible, evil, pagan um, god that they would sacrifice their children to. I mean, it just was terrible, right? And so there was this cliffside where they would, um, there was a, a cave and it was, you know, this cave was thought to be like a very spiritual place. Well, then fast forward, Alexander the Great and the Greeks come in and they start conquering this whole part of the world. And now Greek mythology is now one of the prominent religions. Well, they start worshiping the fertility god Pan, right? And so this cave now is thought to be the gate uh, to the underworld. And so this was the cave that was the gate to Hades, right? Hades was the Greek god of the underworld. And so Pan and all of these other Greek gods would basically go during the winter and sleep in this these caves. So if you go and Google a picture, there's all these like little cave doorways, like little fake looking doors, like carved into this cliffside. And it's thought to be that these are like, that these are gates, right? These are doorways to, to the underworld. And so this cave is the gateway to hell as Jesus says it, but really the word is Hades, which is more underworld or death. So when Jesus says the gate of, of hell, um, he's saying, you know, death, right? So how do you unlock a gate? With a key, right? With a key, most of the time. Or at my house, you just flip up the little latch, right? But <laughs> most gates are locked by keys. It's a child safety and lock so or a normal lock? It's child safety lock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so picture Jesus is probably sitting on top of a cliff with his disciples. And he's like, Peter, you're a little rock. And we're standing on the, the mountain, which the mountain is Jesus. But they're on like a mountain while they're talking about this. And he's, he's given the imagery, right? Like Jesus is the mountain. Peter, you're the little rock on the mountain. He's, I'm going to build my church on this mountain that I'm the Messiah. And then he points down at the cave and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Allah, the gates of Hades, Allah, that cave there, that's thought to be the gate to the underworld. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And anything you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Anything you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Meaning like you now are my church and my church now has the message of truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that message of truth is going to, the gates of hell, of hell, of Hades, of death are not going to prevail against it. Meaning the idea before Jesus rose from the grave was that death was, you know, death claimed ultimate victory over, over people. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he defeats death. Right? So now there's this imagery that all of the followers of Jesus, even though you die, you live forever. Right, The idea that like your soul lives on forever. That means that Jesus is saying the gates of hell, the gates of the underworld, the gates of death have been opened. The church holds the keys to them. And now when people say yes to Jesus, they have eternal life and death will not hold them anymore. They close their eyes when their last breath is taken, but they will live forever with God in heaven. And one day we will be resurrected when all things are made new at the end of time, right? We'll get into that when we get into the book of Revelation. So this idea that we have the keys to heaven, the keys to the gate means that we have the keys to heaven. And now we are tour guides. We are gate holders, opening the door for people to come into an eternal life relationship with Jesus. And because Jesus defeated death, the gates of hell will never keep death, will never keep people in who have said yes to Jesus. 
I hope that makes sense because it, 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 there's a lot to that right there. We could spend a month talking about it. Um, it's, it's not the most clearest uh, probably explanation, uh, but it's the idea that the church now is God's plan A to lead people from death into life. What about the binding and loosening part? Because like, I, th- I think I've heard where people use that to justify a lot of actions here on earth. Where like, if we hold this, he'll hold this. Yeah, I think the binding and loosening, you know, just the idea like loosening being like death has a grip on people who have not said yes to Jesus. So when we present the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves in their heart, they are loosened, right? They are set free. But that also as the church, we can though go and bind evil, right? Like we see evil, we call evil out. We see evil, we, you know, we speak truth and evil is bound, uh, through the word of God and people's souls are loosed through the word of God. Does that make sense? Bit, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely about as clear yeah. as mud. <laughs> okay. So uh, jump in is, there, Darren. Uh, right. I'm here. Uh, what's, a, what's a filter on this here? Yeah. So it's significant that Matthew is the only one who contains this phrase. So he says it here in 1619, this binding and losing. And it also in, in 1818, it occurs twice in pretty quick succession here. And it's significant that Matthew contains this because he is writing to a Jewish audience and there are specific things about these words that are used where the Jews know what this means. Um, when a rabbi begins to teach and, and he, he, he starts binding things or loosing things, that these are, are rabbinic terms, meaning if a rabbi is going to loose something, he's, it's going to be permitted. It's an action that is going to be permitted because it is falling in line with the Torah. Whereas on the other hand, if he binds something, that means that he is going to restrict this type of action. It's essentially like when, when, when Drew stands up there and starts to apply to our lives. What Drew is doing in the Jewish tradition is he's binding and loosing every time that, that he gets up there and, and preaches. So if, if he says, hey, church, let's do this. This is a, a good thing to do following um, what God is saying to us through this scripture. Then he, he's saying he's loosing this. He, he's permitting us to do something that is good. <clears throat> On the other hand, if he binds something, it says this is against the will of God, that kind of thing. And then, then he's binding it. And so based on our interpretation of scripture, we have to figure out how we're going to live out these guidelines and, and, and the truth of the um, inherent, uh, I don't know what's word I'm looking for. It's like, what well, based on our scripture, what do we want to do about it? Because it, like the Bible gives us some rules, but it's some rules for their context. We have to figure out what it means for us. And so that, that's this, this binding and loosing thing. And so if, if, a, an, if an apostle such as Peter, and later on it's talking about all disciples within the context of church discipline in, in chapter 18, if you decide that something is against the will of God as the people of God in love and truth, then that same thing will be bound in heaven as well. And, and then in, in reverse, if you restrict something or if, if you bind it or you loose it, whatever, then, then I will agree with you and be with you in order to carry those things out. And what I think is so powerful about this concept is that Jesus, right before this, gives us the, the, the foundation. And he says that I'm going to build my church on this truth that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ, that I'm the Savior, right? And so as the church, we've been given the keys to the kingdom. Um, 
that is built on the reality that Jesus is the Savior. So Jesus isn't giving us carte blanche and saying, hey, go do whatever you want. You're going to bind what you want, loose what you want. He said, on the basis of me being the Messiah, the church is now plan A for the world. And I want you to go. And I want you to teach what I've taught you. And look at the Great Commission. What does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So as the church, that's our mission to teach what Jesus has commanded. So I think, Darren, I love that. I love bringing that into the context of what would a Jewish rabbi have said so that the disciples would have really understood that concept. And it shows the power and the um, responsibility of the teachers of God's word to rightly apply the truth that Jesus has taught us, not on, based on our opinions or based on what we want, but based on the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world and he gives us the prescription and description of what is best for us when we live our lives by following him. Yeah, so Rob, I imagine you've heard this, and, and I have too, I've heard other people say it too, that this binding and loosing is about like demon possession and if by our words we can like we can bind up demons and and you know whatever but our words have power have you heard that i know other people i've heard, I've heard that before and then also people more or less using it to sort of say if we hold this as true on earth god will hold it true in heaven and you're just like well that's not right like there's a you're, you're clearly going hey if we believe this hard enough down here god has to take us seriously with it it's like no his truth trumps us it's pretty simple yeah. on that in my yeah, in, in charismatic movements, uh, this scripture is used a lot for for demon uh, expulsion and that kind of thing. Um, but the, in like in this context, it's closer because it is talking about Hades, but but it's not talking about demons or it's not talking about demon possession or anything. And neither is it in in chapter eighteen. Like it, it's context. Just you, you, I, I really don't think you can use this text to to, to talk about demons because it, it's not here. Like it's it's Hades and death. It's the underworld and and the power of death that has that no longer has power over someone who has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. It no longer has power there. There's just nothing in view, I think, of of how it's been used out of context. Interesting. And so then, like we hear a lot then here on like with Hades and like what how God is talking about it or Jesus talking about it in that context. What are the in the context of the whole of the Bible? What do we know about hell? And like, are there gates around it? Are there gates around heaven? Like, is it do you know? Would you guys rather spend more time on earth or would you rather go sit on a cloud and play a harp forever? Because that's what mm. heaven has been depicted as. Right, right. <laughs> or well, in, in hell you get a accordion or something. Yeah, it's like, a, <laughs> and you get it out of tune harmonica, right? Oof. You know, it is interesting, like what we have is so image and metaphor based of, of the afterlife. I think, you know, one, one of the things we talk about often is that, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. He knows what we can handle mentally. And we just don't really have any um, understanding for what like the, the spiritual realm of heaven and hell are even like. So Jesus gives us pictures. Like when Jesus talks about hell, he often talks about Gehenna which we've talked about that on this podcast before. Gehenna was the trash dump, right? Like outside of Jerusalem or Nazareth, wherever, there's a trash dump. And what does a trash dump do? Well, it piles up trash and then on that trash dump, it begins, it catches on fire, right? All that and it, the sulfur and it, it burns itself. And so Jesus says, hey, you know, if you don't 
know God, if you don't have a relationship with your heavenly father through me, then you, your afterlife's going to be like Gehenna. And he points to the trash dump and he's like, where there's gnashing and grind, you know, grinding of teeth, gnashing of teeth. And, and then he points to this gate and, and, and says, Caesarea Philippi and says the gate of Hades. And there, that's more image based, right? That's the idea that like, that was the gate that led to hell. And so he, it's more of an image. So I don't think hell is this like, you, you know, I don't think Jesus paints this picture of hell as what we think of it was the devil, which the pit with the pitchfork and the flaming fires of hell, you, you do get some talk in the book of revelation about the lake of fire. Um, but you know, what we see in scripture is that hell is a real place. That is a place where you are, your soul is separated from God. And so whatever it looks like there, it's a place of torment because you recognize that you had an opportunity to have an eternity with the creator of your soul and the one that loves you so much. Jesus came for you, but you rejected him. And now you're eternally separated from him in hell. Um, the pictures we have for that make us understand how terrible that will be, but we really don't have a clear picture of what it looks like. Just like we don't have a clear picture of heaven, it's probably not streets of gold, right? It's probably not like sitting on a cloud playing a harmonica, uh, but it is going to be the place of like pure joy and what those images bring us to understand uh, of, of being in the presence of God. I assume we'll talk about this a lot more once we get into Revelation, but for now, our, our, um, our view of, of, he- of hell as a subterranean dungeon that's constantly on fire comes more from uh, a Renaissance narrative, uh, Dante's Inferno, right. because that's, he talks about like nine levels of hell and seven levels of heaven, and it's, it's all about like how bad you are depends on how deep you are in, in hell or that kind of stuff. And that's where our, our, our picture of like little demons with you know, horns and red devil kind of thing comes from. Um, but uh, going more off of um, Gehenna, uh, there was, it's, it, that's in the Valley of Gehenna, which is where the, the Gehenna comes from. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, but th- there, was, there was an Old Testament story where that was a place where a child was sacrificed down in that valley. And child sacrifice is something that God of the Bible absolutely hates. Mm. And, and I, there hates. needs to be a stronger, stronger word than hates. For abhors, how God feels about. Abhors, yes. That's a loathes. It is abhorrent to, to God. And um, in that moment, it's as though like that's so awful that God just abandons that place. And so based on, on that story and that thought, that idea, that's what, what the Valley of, of Gehinnom is, what, where there's this trash dump. And, and so it just feeds on, it, on itself um, in its evil. And so hell is an, a place of eternal separation from God. There's a lot of interesting stories out there. Um, I, I read recently um, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, mm. and he describes hell as really just an, an earth where people are allowed to feed their own desires constantly. And what it does is it just ca- causes more and more division among people. And so eventually over time, your your earth and your separation from people just grows. Uh, someone, someone that's on this earthly hell decided to go see uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. They had to travel 14 years to go see him through his window because he had built a house so far away from people. Um, and it's, it's just crazy how, like, how far away that goes. Um, I do think that we can create um, uh, places of heaven and hell on this earth already. Um, if, if, we, if we 
take God with us into broken places, or even here in this church, we want the veil between heaven and, and, and earth to be thin where we are, where we worship, where we praise God, where we take God into broken places. We really want that to happen. But also, people can cause hell to happen on this earth, where there is physical pain, there, there is torment, there's emotional abuse, there's like sexual abuse. All these things are, are creating hell on earth. And when the new heaven and earth comes, I think earth is, or heaven is going to be eerily like earth, like our experience now, but imagine imagine like hiking in the mountains without fear of 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 death, without fear of pollution, without fear of broken relationships between people. All these things that that make our life hard are just going to be gone, and we can hike or farm the plains of Kansas without any fear of of bad things happening. That's something I want to live in. Well, and we're going to get to this for sure. Our very last sermon in this series, The Greatest Story, is going to be on this. And the idea is, you know, we, we see in Genesis 3, uh, Adam and Eve sin, um, they're deceived, and the world breaks. And we see that Genesis 3.15, God promises, right, that he's going to send one to come fix the world was broken. Well, that's what Jesus does after he comes back. And we see a picture of what that's going to be in, in the book of Revelation, and so if God's plan for us was to live in paradise on this earth in this beautiful universe he created, then when Jesus comes and fixes that, then one day we will be resurrected from the grave, right? Death does not hold us, right? That the gates of Hades will not keep us in. We will one day be given new bodies, resurrected bodies, and inhabit the earth and that earth will be paradise restored as it was meant to be, where lion will lay with the lamb. And Rob, you can, you know, play golf and not get upset when you shank the ball into the woods and that kind of That's thing. How I right? play golf. And, and so I know. And, you know, it's like, well, does that mean we're all going to shoot par? No, it just means that we're not going to get mad and sin when we do, when we shank it. And I think that's the beautiful picture of, of what paradise restored will be. So, Darren, I, I love that picture of like eternity. We were created to live eternally. We are, our souls are eternal. Your eternal destination depends on how you say yes or no to Jesus. Heaven, paradise restored, will be living in the presence of God on this earth that he created us to live perfectly. Eternity in hell will be away from the presence of God, and we will live eternally in a place where you know that God is not with you, and and that leads to anguish of your soul and a place that you do not want to be. So I think that's a good way of looking at it. Um, although it's, it's hard to grab our, put our minds around sometimes. I think clearly the idea that God is with us on earth as it is in heaven is that picture of what eternity is going to be for us. One, one last question before we wrap this up here. We were visiting some friends this weekend and, you know, between politics and religion, I'm great at bringing those up. And I guess it's two party fouls, but that's how I, I talk to people. Um, is the question came up similar to this, like what's heaven like? We don't really get to know what hell's like. But then the other question came up is if someone goes to hell, is there any chance of restoration with God once they go to hell? They go, is there a chance for repentance post their life on earth? I believe that question is a mute point because once someone gets to that place, gets to that point, they have already made tons of decisions before that that reject heaven and that they choose to go to whatever hell is. Because if, if, if someone lives their life without God, then once they're presented with the truth of what heaven is and presence in God, that is not going to be attractive to them. And so that, like, 
is there a chance for repentance? There's never going to be anyone who, who wants to repent. They, I think there's a certain point of, of where they make that decision, and it becomes so permanent within them that they themselves have hardened their own hearts to a place where there's, like, is there no, is there no chance? I think there's there might always be a chance, but there won't be a chance because they don't want to. You know, that, that might be harsh, but it, <laughs> this is such a a really hard topic to to cover because there's so many nuances to it. But you know, there's that story that Jesus tells about Lazarus dies. Different Lazarus, not his buddy Lazarus, right? Lazarus was kind of a common name back then. Um, Lazarus dies, and you know, he he goes to hell, and then he he looks up and he sees the the blind beggar that was you know at his. Uh, um, you know, at his gate that he never cared for. And the blind beggar goes to heaven. I don't think, I don't know if he's blind, but the beggar goes to heaven and he's like, you know, he's, he's talking and he's like, well, um, I know I'm in hell and I can't get out of here, but go and tell my brothers so that, that they need to believe so that they don't end up in hell like me. And he's basically told like, look, you know, your brothers had Moses, your brothers had the prophets, your brothers had Jesus and they still didn't believe what's going to make a difference. And so I think what Darren said about in life, we all have opportunities to say yes or no to Jesus. And one of the big picture questions, Rob, that I get asked sometimes is, well, what about the person who lives in India or the heart of Africa or in the Middle East who never gets to hear about Jesus? And I think, one, for one, the church is called to go and to make sure everybody hears. But I think in God's mercy, he gives everybody an opportunity to hear the gospel. Um, and, and how that looks, that, that's, you know, that's difficult to understand, but, um, you know, so the idea is that everybody has had an opportunity to say yes or no. And so by the time they get, they may get to hell and go, oh my gosh, I made the wrong choice. But at that point they've made their choice. I don't, I don't know that we see anywhere in scripture that they're going to get another chance to, to repent and, and make a different decision. No, it's an interesting thought. So. With that, any parting thoughts? Sorry, I left it there. Darren? <laughs> no, I think we're good. Drew? Um, keep your keys handy, fellas. We got the keys to the gate. Let's go. Absolutely. With that, thank you guys for your time, Pastor Darren Enns, Pastor Drew Tarwater. If you guys have questions, thoughts, if you want to email us, life at forefrontchurch.tv. Reach out to us. We're here at church at Forefront Church at Harvey Park on the weekend. Drop us a note in the connection box. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rob Blasi. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.